Aloha. Welcome to the Mr. G podcast. This is episode number 13. Today's episode is brought to you by, by my twin brother's dirty, smelly gym socks. You can find my twin brother's dirty, smelly gym socks in the New England tri-state area. Okay. With that being said, uh, congratulations to the Boston Celtics inching out a victory in game six with 0.1, with no time left on the clock. The ball left his hand with 0.1, and they reviewed it. And the Celtics forced a Game 7 on Monday, winner between the Miami Heat at the Boston Garden versus the Boston Celtics in Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. The winner goes to the NBA Finals. And the post-game press conference was very interesting. Uh, listening to Jimmy Butler and the Heat, uh, they weren't phased, as you would normally think. They're ready to play. They know that this game snuck away. Um, there was a real uh, interesting learning point of my, about that I learned something about myself while watching yesterday's game six. And you want to continue to learn about yourself throughout your life. So many people in life, the majority of people, they reach a certain age and, and, and they don't grow at all. They don't continue learning. They listen to the same music that they listened to in high school. They say the same catchphrases that they said in their 20s. And they don't evolve as a person. You really want to evolve as a person. And one key to that is knowing yourself. Know thyself was an earlier podcast episode. So yesterday's game six uh, in Miami, Jimmy Butler was fouled uh, with three seconds left. And he was fouled shooting a three-point shot. And so they reviewed it. They saw his feet was, were behind the line, and it was a foul. And so he was given three free throws. At this point in time, the Miami Heat were down by two points. So these three free throws in front of the whole world, because everybody's watching this game. It's the only series, the NBA series going on. There's no football going on. You know, nobody really watches baseball. And so, uh, you know, this is millions of people are watching, and he has to take three free throws. And if he makes all three, the Heat go up by one point. And if the Heat win this game, they go to the NBA Finals. So uh, these three free throws are the biggest of his career, of anybody's career. And I'm just so nervous. But if you look at Jimmy Butler, because I'm cheering for the Heat and I'm cheering for Jimmy Butler. And Jimmy Butler was a former homeless youth. And he had to sleep in laundromats or wherever he could find a place so Jimmy Butler being this incredible superstar that you un, un, unconventional, unexpected superstar uh, and seeing him, he's he's not only, you know, he's a spokesperson, whether he likes it or not, for a lot of people that anybody that had a rough night and had to sleep rough, as they say, across the pond or had to sleep outside or had to sleep on the ground or had to sleep in a laundromat. And it shows that. Uh, people can do great things and they can come from uh, unfortunate circumstances. And there that goes with the expression, don't judge a book by its cover. A lot of times you do want to uh, judge a book by its cover, but a lot of times you want to give people the benefit of the doubt. And Jimmy Butler is a testament to that because uh, seeing him as a teenage youth, he even says it himself. He's like, I never expected to be in the NBA. I never knew <clears throat> I could make it this far. And his number eight seed, Miami Heat, they play best when they're the underdog. They play best when they're on the ropes. And this uh, historic Eastern Conference playoff series is a testament to that because 
they played their best. They're the number eight seed. The Celtics are the number two seed. They won the first two games in Boston. Nobody expected them to do that. Maybe win one game if they were lucky, but they won the next two in Boston. And then they go up 3-0. Nobody expected them to do that. So they were still the underdog going to all these games. But then when they were up 3-0, that was the point where everyone's like, okay, time to end it. One more win and you go to the finals. But they couldn't sweep the Celtics in game four. They couldn't win in Boston Garden in game five. One of the toughest places to play in the NBA Boston Garden and the Denver and Denver Nuggets Arena uh, are the two toughest places to play in the NBA, and those are the two teams that usually have the best home court advantage or in the best home court records during the playoffs and regular season. So, uh, Jimmy, they they have a monumental task of winning uh, Game Seven on the road. But it puts them, like I said, in the press conference, Jimmy Butler, Eric Spolster, the head coach, and uh, other players, the whole mentality of the team was like, okay, we'll be ready for Monday. We're going to we'll be ready, and we're ready to play, you know, and it's not going to be a blowout like in game five. Uh, the Heat are going to come out, but so are the Celtics, and the Celtics do have a huge home court advantage because that crowd is crazy, and I'm not a Celtics fan. I don't like the Celtics but I'll give respect where respect is due. Celtics fans go nuts and they're yelling and making so much noises. And I don't know if Jimmy Butler would have been able to make all three of those free throws in Boston garden. Maybe he would have, but like I said, I taught something about myself. I'm watching the game at home and I'm nervous as fuck. I'm like, fuck, he's got to make three free throws. And normally that would happen if I had money on the game, but I don't have money on, on this game. I haven't bet all year. I've been watching the playoffs this year, but this is one of the first years I haven't put any money. I could have made lots of money with all the successful predictions I had, but I didn't even have money on this game, but I was just so nervous for him. I'm like, he's taking three free throws. And uh, st having studied nonverbal communication and how athletes handle these pressure situations, uh, I can, but I also, being a nonverbal communication expert, I can see uh, nuances in, in, in an individual's behavior uh, and to, to tell if they're nervous or not. And I looked at Jimmy Butler. I'm at home standing up. I'm like, oh, my God, just make two out of three. Just make the first three throw because they're down by one point or they're down by uh, two points. And he has three free throws. I'm like, just make two out of three, you know. And uh, I'm nervous at home. But uh, you look at Jimmy Butler and he's just calm as a cucumber. He wasn't as calm as I saw him taking two uh, crucial free throws earlier in the series, but he was very calm. And I was like, wow, that's the guy I want shooting the free throws at this moment. And that goes to his dog mentality. They call him the dog. They say he, he is him is another thing, but he has that dog in him. And uh, Jimmy Butler, like I said, uh, he wasn't supposed to be there. He's on borrowed time. The entire heat team this year, they were the number eight seed. They had to win the number eight seed in the play in tournament. They lost a game in the play-in tournament, if I remember correctly. Uh, so it's like they were always on borrowed time and like playing on house money. And so that's when they got into trouble when they got up 3-0. So Boston, you know, like I said, give them respect to respect to They have a game seven at home. I wonder what the line is, the betting line on this game. I imagine Boston is going to be favored. They're at home and they're the number two seed. But I would put my money on Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat. And that's who I'm going to be cheering for in game seven. So go heat. All right. With that being said, uh, um, yesterday's podcast, episode 12, 
talked about the NBA finals in 1999 and the NBA finals in uh, 2000, 2001, 2002, and 2003. I did leave out a couple stories yesterday. I left out watching Kobe Bryant eliminate the Spurs and the Alamo Dome in 2002. I only got to see Kobe Bryant play once. I never got his autograph. I never saw him in person except playing on the court. And even then, when I did see Kobe Bryant, I saw him make fadeaway three-pointers. I saw him beat the Spurs in San Antonio in the playoffs. But it was in the Alamo Dome, and the seats that we had were way up in the nosebleed section. And normally with the Alamo Dome, it's made for football, so they don't have uh, the main curtain open except for big-time games like playoff games. And so they had the curtain open, and we were in the section where like you couldn't see shit and we were like worse than nosebleed and and I'm I'm like oh my god and I talked earlier on an earlier episode about how the one time I sat courtside uh was at a Spurs game Atlanta Hawks versus San Antonio Spurs and a woman a girl I was dating I was 20 she was 19 and uh her boss uh had these courtside seats and he wasn't going to that night's game the Atlanta Hawks and so she's like, do you want to go to the game? So I did have sat courtside, and that was an incredible experience watching basketball, NBA in particular, from home for so many years, and then being right on the court. It's like they were like transformers like running around. I was just like, whoa, these are the dudes I've been watching on the TV. They're running around in front of me. Like, what if they fall into me? Like, this is crazy. And they're like all huge, and they're like running around like it's normal. And I'm just like, whoa, I had never been to a basketball game. Keanu, now is not the time, Keanu. So in uh, 2002, I did see Kobe Bryant play versus San Antonio Spurs. But I was in the Alamo Dome and he was hitting some fadeaway three-pointers that I uh, that I saw. And we left the game probably early. It was a blowout. The Lakers blew out the Spurs that year. But so, And I talked about in 2003. I go into more detail about 2003 in my book. Gonzo, Gonzo Education. Why are you doing this? Stop right now. Fucking stop it right now. Stop. All right. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Where were we? I normally don't yell at him, but he's got to stop doing that. So yesterday we talked about 2003, the NBA Finals of 2003. Now, uh, that, that, that was a very important year for me, 2003. I go into detail about 2003 in my book more than any other year. I'm not lying for some reason. I go in detail about that about any other year, 2003. It seems like the years with three on the end are uh, more significant for me. But in 2003, in January of that year, that was when me and my twin brother walked from San Antonio to Austin. And then um, I ended up starting school in fall of that year. So it was an extremely important year for me, 2003, because I ended up uh, you know, being successful at uh, school. 
and it was something that was a real big surprise for me. It was a, a, a pleasant surprise because I never knew that I was intelligent. Nobody ever told me I was intelligent. So 2003 was a huge year and I was really happy uh, with uh, how things going and the Spurs ended up winning the championship in 2003. But in 2004, I learned a valuable lesson. Sometimes in life, you can learn lessons from other people. Whoa, fucking A, we're having difficulty today, huh? No, we're not having difficulty. Sometimes life is challenging, but challenges are what make life fun. All right, so... In 2004, I learned a valuable lesson while watching the San Antonio Spurs in the playoffs versus the Los Angeles Lakers. 2004 was the year that the Lakers went out and got Gary Payton and Carl Malone. Uh, they still had Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Derek Fisher, and uh, they still had other great players too. Rick Fox, the greatest Rick Fox. But the San Antonio Spurs also had a good team, and it seemed like the Lakers and Spurs would meet up every year. And they met up this year, and I believe it was in the second round. And 2003 was a really rough year for me and my twin brother. Our mom passed away in November of that year. Like I said, it was the year in January of 2003, me and my twin brother walked across Texas from San Antonio to Austin. And um, we spent the summer living in a car uh, on the uh, on IH 35 between San Antonio and Austin as well. That summer, June, July, and uh, August, I ended up starting school. And it was, like I said, it was a great moment because I realized I was smarter than everybody. And I, <laughs> no offense, listeners. And I made straight A's. But more importantly, I was like, this is something that I can do. And the way my brother put it, it was like, oh, so as long as you make good grades, you keep getting financial aid. And I was like, yeah, I keep getting uh, financial aid, yeah. But some semesters, they only paid for my tuition, especially at the University of Texas in Austin. So I did work the whole time I was in school, the whole seven years I was in school. But 2003 was an important year because of those reasons. And I finished up the year in 2003. And then we I got an apartment in 2003. Then in, in 2004, me and my brother were living in this apartment and we were watching the playoffs in 2004. Here comes the valuable lesson. The Spurs were playing the Lakers in 2004. And it was a turning point in the series. And this game was in San Antonio at the SBC Center. And the uh, end of the game happened. And Tim Duncan is at the top of the key. And he hits an incredible fadeaway shot that gives the Spurs the lead and uh, with only 0.4 seconds on the clock. And, you know, you think the Spurs had won. And after he hit that shot, I, I cheered. Me and my brother were cheering throughout the game. But I cheered, but I was respectful. I was like, yes, yes. But my brother took it to another level, and he started calling the Lakers names, calling, like, you fucking F-bomb and this and that, and, like, and just being like, we won, ha-ha, in your fuck. Yeah, just in, like just being oh, too uh, you know, a, a terrible winner. And, like, I'm like, chill, man, relax. And I, I, I this happened 100%. I'm like, Relax, there's still 0.4 seconds on the clock. And then he's like, nobody's ever made a, a buzzer beater to the 0.4 seconds. They just said the closest you can get a jump shot off is in, uh, you know, you have to have uh, 0.5 seconds or 0.6. He's like, it's impossible. There's no way that they can win. And uh, 
And I was like, stranger things have happened. Don't don't be so rude. And he's like, you know, flicking off the TV. He's like, hi, you know, and just being like, not a good person, not a good winner. And then the next play comes, there's 0.4 seconds on the clock. And supposedly before that point in NBA history, you could not get a shot off with uh, less than 0.7 or 0.8 seconds, not even a second, a millisecond. But there are 0.4 milliseconds, not even a second, not even half a second, but 0.4 milliseconds on the clock. And somehow, some way, Kobe Bryant passes the ball in, to, or somebody passes the ball in, Robert Ory maybe, passes the ball into Derek Fisher, and Derek Fisher uh, pulls up and hits a, a shoots a, a, a three-point shot, and maybe the clock didn't start, or not a three-point shot, he just shoots a jump shot. But he doesn't like hurry it or anything. He just shoots a regular jump shot. And maybe the clock doesn't start or they don't say it. Or that was before there was a red light behind the backboard. Maybe that's one reason they installed the red light behind the backboards. Because like in last night's game, you saw D. White of the Boston Celtics put the ball in with 0.1 seconds. Like you reviewed the shot and you reviewed the footage. And yeah, it left his hand with 0.1 seconds left. There was not, so much time left between the Miami Heat going to the NBA Finals and the Boston Celtics losing the series and their season ending. So now we have the black backboard cam, but that was before Derek Fisher. We didn't have that. So with 0.4 seconds, they pass it in. Derek Fisher shoots a regular jump shot. Boom, makes it. The, uh, the San Antonio crowd is stunned, and the Lakers run out of the building and, like, they stole the game. Literally, but sit, not literally, like, hey, give me the game. No, they stole the game, and that turned the series, and the Lakers went on to go to the NBA Finals where they lost to a Detroit Pistons team. And the 2004 Detroit Pistons team is one of the only NBA champions in memory that did not have a superstar. They had a few all-stars, Chauncey Billups, uh, a great defensive player, uh, a great defensive center, and, and Ben Wallace. But they did not have any All-Stars. I believe Stan Van Gundy was their head coach. And this uh, Pistons team with no All-Stars destroyed the Lakers team in 2004 that was stacked with All-Stars that had Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Gary Payton, Carl Malone, like all these great players plus a, a huge bench. And uh, the Pistons did it with defense and teamwork. So if you're a true basketball fan, then the 2004 Pistons and the 2014 San Antonio Spurs, the most dominating best NBA champions as far as teamwork and uh, and and uh, at war, uh, in basketball, it's proven you can beat the All-Stars. You can beat the MVPs if you work as a team. Nothing can beat teamwork. And like I've said in one of my earlier podcasts, basketball is an analogy for life. Many times in life, you can be an all-star player. You can have all the best dribbling moves. You can be fast and have a first step and do it all on your own. Or maybe have one more friend that's also really good. And you guys can get to the basket just about every time. But, and just like in life, you know, sometimes all you need is one friend and you guys are good enough to, you know, make shots and score goals, metaphorically speaking. But in life, just like in basketball, even the two all-star superstars, Shaq and Kobe, you can come up against a team and have five teammates and none of them are, are all-stars, but they work together. And a, a team is greater than 
one or two. And so the team works together and they're able to uh, defeat. And just like in life, if you know, you're, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to be the sharpest or the best looking person in the room or the best speaking person in the room. If you have a team around you and people that help you, then uh, just like in basketball, just like the Detroit Pistons were able to beat the stack Lakers team, they work together and they're like, okay, these guys are all-stars, top 50 MVP players of all time, Carl Malone, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant. How are we going to beat them? Okay, well, we got to work together. We got to play defense. We got to, uh, you know, keep the uh, shot clock low, keep the games low scoring, be rough, be tough. Don't let them walk over us. Let them know that this is a, a basketball game. And uh, sometimes basketball games can get tough, too. So congratulations to that 2004 uh, Pistons team, because th that is a testament on uh, sports and working together and life as well. All right. So and also the lesson learned is don't, you know, count your chickens before they're hatched. You know, even though there was 0.4 seconds on the clock, my brother was like spitting. If I mentioned that, he even spit at the Lakers after that. He's like, ha, ha, we won, we won. And no, we didn't win. The, you know, just like in last night's game, when Jimmy Butler hit those three shots, there were three seconds on the clock, and he was saying, one stop, one stop. And uh, he, they, they seemed like they did get that stop. You know, this time ran out and the jump shot was off. But they didn't box out in that few half seconds left. You know, if Vincent, I believed, you know, should have boxed out his man, you know, but I was celebrating. And even on the TV screen on yesterday's game, game, it said final heat win 93, 92. But that's not what happened. You know, the Celtics ended up winning and they changed it really quickly. I was about to take a picture of it. But yeah, you don't count your chickens until they're hatched. And nobody knows what's going to happen in life. They, it's it's been proven over and over. They always ask people from a hundred years ago what they think life in a hundred years is going to be like, and everybody is way off. It's there's very few uh, people that get it right. So a hundred years ago wasn't that long ago. <laughs> How long ago was it, Mister G? It was about a hundred years ago, nineteen twenty three. It seems like a hundred years ago was nineteen hundred for my generation. When they say a hundred years ago, oh, you mean nineteen hundred, right? <laughs> no, G. A hundred years ago it was 1923, you know, like even in, in, in the year 2050, I'll think a hundred years ago was 2000, but a hundred years ago from 2050 is 1950. We're actually closer today in 2023. We're closer to the year 2050 than we are to the year 1996. So if you remember the Spice Girls, if you remember NSYNC, if you remember Britney Spears, then that is closer or that's further away in time than the year 2050 2050 is right around the corner kids so get ready that's when the cars are going to be flying around it's got to happen but like i said whenever they ask people about the future look how bad back to the future how wrong back to the future got it you know that was supposed to be 2015 you know nothing they didn't they didn't get anything right there and if they, when they asked people in 1923 what they thought 2023 was going to be like, they thought like all this like weird shit, like, you know, uh, like sipping drinks, uh, drinking clouds from a huge straw or something like preposterous. Uh, but, you know, so we never know what's going to happen. You don't count your chickens until they're hatched. And 
that goes with celebrating too. You know, Jimmy Butler took hit those three free throws and he didn't like start screaming and yelling because he knew there was still time left. And I thought there was no way the Celtics were going to win. The Heat were going to play top-notch defense and stop that one shot. And they did stop that one shot, but they didn't box out. And so that's the funny thing about life, the matrix, that if there's a creator, the the all-purpose one, you know, he always makes things interesting where people can't predict shit, you know? Well, me, I can predict, you know, NBA games 70, 80% of the time. But when you every right when you think you have everything figured out in life, they'll throw you a bone, you know. And right when you think everything's up in 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 chaos, th things start getting better. So, okay, so that was the two thousand four NBA Finals. Let me refresh my memories: the uh, two thousand five NBA Finals. Now, that was a uh, year to remember as well. During the 2005 NBA Finals, I was enrolled in a Spanish course at Austin Community College. It was during the summer, uh, so it was before um, I would transfer to the University of Texas. Uh, taking the this, this Spanish course at Community College was my decision because not having not attended high school uh, and also being terrible at language just because of the way my brain works, learning foreign languages is very difficult for me. Um, I took the Spanish course at the community college to make it a, a bit easier. So I had gotten through the first level course, and this was the second level. And I was taking it during the summer because it's condensed into two months. And uh, it, was, it was the only class I was taking, so I could totally concentrate on it. I think I was taking one other class that didn't take uh, much work. So I'm enrolled in this uh, Spanish class, and it's extremely important uh, so I can transfer to the University of Texas. At the University of Texas, I would take uh, Spanish Level 3 and Spanish Level 4. And Spanish Level 4 was the most difficult class that I took at the University of Texas, if you want to look at my transcripts. Spanish 3, I actually had to take twice. And the thing is, in all these Spanish classes, these upper division Spanish classes at the University of Texas, the other students thought I was an idiot because I was the worst one in the class at Spanish. And a lot of that had to do with not having Spanish in high school and not having a foreign language in high school. But also my twin brother and I, we didn't start speaking until we were like five or six. And our parents never spoke to us either. So that really put us at a disadvantage. We had to go into speech classes when we entered school because like, they're like, hey, uh, these kids can't talk. They're like speaking some weird language between each other. And me and my twin brother were like, <laughs> that's how we sounded. And uh, we were speaking a weird language with each other. We had to be in developmental speech classes. So I know that had something to do with it. And uh, and Spanish was really hard. So this particular summer, though, I was in the second level Spanish class, but it was extremely important that I pass this class and the Spurs were playing in the NBA Finals versus the Detroit Pistons team that I just talked about. So Detroit was trying to repeat in 2005, and they were playing the Spurs. It was a very defensive NBA Finals. The Spurs were led by Tim Duncan. Uh, also, Manu Ginobili had an all-star season, and Tony Parker and Bruce Bowen. So the Spurs had a really good team, and me being in that Spanish class, I did a couple uh, you know, presentations about Manu Ginobili in Argentina where Manu is from, 
uh, where they speak Spanish. And this the, and the instructor was a Spurs fan, and there was a few students in the class that were also Spurs fans. So during this series, uh, I also have a lot of money riding on the Spurs winning the championship. Before the season started, I got like 35 to 1 odds, something crazy like that, on the Spurs winning the championship in 2005. And I put like 50 or $60. But that 50 or $60 would, uh, with 35 to 1 odds was going to be like $2,000. And so I really wanted, and I and I was needed the money to pay with the rent. I had everything rided, riding on the Spurs winning the championship in 2005. And they had to get to that point versus the champion of 2004, Detroit Pistons, a very good team. And so I got the Spanish class going and I'm watching the NBA finals. And the whole time in the Spanish class, I'm talking about the NBA finals and how I have so much money riding on it. And come like one of the games of the season, I forget which one it was. I was living in an apartment, a two bedroom apartment, a two bedroom apartment uh, with me and my twin brother uh, called the Elms. And the Elms was like a ghetto apartment uh, in the just north of Hyde Park in Austin, Texas. And there was a lot of Latinos there. There was a lot of like uh, migrants, I guess is the PC term. Uh, there was a lot of migrants and a lot of them lived in, in each apartment because there were two bedroom apartments, but a lot of them had like five or more people in the apartments. But this, the difference is I'd never even noticed them and they never noticed me. They didn't stand outside my, they didn't stand outside. They'd be in and out. Nobody would hang outside. Nobody does that. And so back then in San Antonio, like they didn't speak English or anything. They were from Mexico, but they didn't give me any problems. I didn't give them any problems. They would go in and out of their apartment. I'll go in and out of my apartment, you know. Uh, that was the totally difference. And I think about that living here, how how the culture is totally different, where in San Antonio or in Austin, you know, they just were doing their own thing. And like they had no interest in me, even though I was 21, 22 years old and my twin brother was also 22 years old. You would think that th there would be more interest then when I was young, Mr. G, than now when I'm 43 year old, Mr. G, because believe me, young Mr. G used to get more pussy. <laughs> no, seriously, seriously. No, well, young Mr. G used to get a lot more attention from, from women, from uh, everybody. And I still do get a lot of attention. I'm very grateful and blessed for that. But, uh, you know, if you could, anybody would do that. Would you take yourself at 22 years old or 43 years old if you were in a beauty pageant versus yourself? Like that would happen, okay? <laughs> if your 22-year-old self had a beauty pageant versus your 43-year-old self, who would win? <laughs> the 43-year-old self might be a little bit more interesting, but the 22-year-old self doesn't have all the Hawaiian wrinkles and the thinning hair, right? But hey, it's not the uh, looks that uh, have always won me over uh, as much with the ladies. It's more uh, my compelling, uh, intriguing uh, magnetic personality. So in 2005, it was really important. <laughs> 2005 was important. And I took Spanish and I liked the Spurs. <laughs> I was like, go Spurs. I'm making fun of myself <laughs> because I have this talent to be able to tell stories and to be able to do that. But I could easily just, if my ego would was overtaking, then I would do that. I would see myself as like, I like the Spurs. 2005, I took Spanish. I'm not good at Spanish. No, the story gets more interesting. 
So I'm living in this apartment with my brother and we decide, decide to have a roommate come to stay with us to save money. And this roommate guy is named Steve. Steve might watch this one day. Steve was from Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi. So I was able to talk about that just because I know geography, you know. So I'm like, oh, Jackson, Mississippi, are you a big Elvis Presley fan? Jackson, Mississippi, it's, you know, one of the most predominantly uh, African-American communities. Like, uh, like I was able to talk to him and he knew a lot about music, but he also did drugs and not just like smoking weed. He did like hard drugs and like ecstasy, but he was a young kid and, and musician. So you wouldn't like think of him like as a druggie, but that was his thing. He did drugs and he did hang out with some unsavory people as well. Uh, so my brother like uh, you know starts like hanging out with him a little bit and I I give Steve the cold shoulder and all of his friends the cold shoulder he brings over a couple uh, young women and they like me a lot but I'm just like give them even more of a cold shoulder I remember making one of them cry one day because I thought uh, Aesop Rock was ludicrous and I'm like and then they made fun of me and then I just like went off and just made her cry but also, uh, Steve uh, did drugs and, and Michael, uh, he's never takes any advice from me. He never took any advice from his twin brother, his older twin brother, his taller, more mature, much smarter twin brother. He would always want to lead the way. And, and the worst thing that he could do would take advice from me. But anybody else, he was open to be easily influenced, including a druggie like Steve. So an example is during this time, I was listening to Weezer popular alt band at the time and uh, i remember showing it to michael like island in the sun i played on the guitar and a couple other things and then he's like i don't like that that's you know uh lame music i don't like that and then uh like a year or so later when steve moves in steve starts playing weezer for him he's like yeah i like weezer then one day michael's like i i kind of like weezer you know and I'm like, dude, I was just playing them for you and you hated them. You said they were horrible. And he's like, I also got an email address. And before that, he was just like, I'm never getting an email address. I will never get an email address. I would rather die than get an email. Like we had this huge fights because I'm like, no, Michael, one day you will have to get an email address. There will be a time where everybody has to get an email address. Not me. I'm going to not get one just to prove I'm right. You know, and we had this argument over and over again. <laughs> I guess I won because yeah, everybody has to have an email address. I, I, <laughs> I won that argument, but in 2005, I had this Spanish class going, I'm living with my crazy brother and he starts drinking and doing like harder drugs with this Steve guy. And that just makes him already, he's already crazy to begin with. And doing these substances were, was not helpful, especially when he was coming down from these substances so one morning, I a Saturday morning, I remember there was a big two liter of orange crushed soda. And I carried this orange crushed soda with me all morning for whatever fucking reason. I woke up that morning hungover and I walked to the store and I bought a two liter of orange soda. And then I'm drinking the orange soda and I lay back down and go to sleep. And the next thing I know, my brother is on top of me, punching me in the arm. I'm like, what the fuck? And I wake and I get up and I'm like, what the hell are you doing? And, and he's yelling at me for using all the toilet paper. You know, it's the same thing our father used to yell at me for. And I, I remember getting beaten with a belt for it, too. 
because for whatever reason, everybody's different with how they wipe their ass. Okay. Some people use a lot of to toilet paper. Some people use very little toilet paper. I remember my brother bragging when we were growing up, how he used so such little toilet paper. I remember the, the that big fake ab liver King guy, when he was talking about his shits on some talk show, he's like, I never use toilet paper because the liver King has so much good stuff in him that it, it just comes out clean, you know? Uh, no, dude, you're walking around with a shit sandwich, you know, that's that's what's going on, Liver King, and your fucking ass smells like liver shit. But my brother, you know, he would always not use that much toilet paper, apparently. But growing up, if I had used too much toilet paper, our father would get really pissed at me and me and him because we were treated as one. And so, but this is as we're adults, you know, we're in our 20s and we're living in this apartment and he wakes me up by punching me in the arm you know, uh, uh, because I use too much toilet paper, th that's that's what outraged me. And if you look back at like different uh, instances of uh, fighting that we've had, altercations, and especially if the police were involved, it started with something like that. Like he came home and I didn't do his laundry. Like what? I'm supposed to do your laundry? <laughs> I I didn't know that. You were you like I I had washed some of my own clothes. He's like, you didn't wash any of mine. You, why didn't you why did you wash my clothes because growing up we always had to wash each other's clothes we were treated as one person we shared the same exact clothes and from age five or six we had to figure out how to wash our own clothes believe it or not there was washing machine in the house and a dryer but we had to figure out how to use them and we had to you know our father wasn't going to lift a finger unless like it was court ordered so uh, in 2005, my brother's like using hard substances with this guy, Steve, that we uh, let live with us as a third roommate. And we're just like, wow, this two bedroom apartment's not big enough for three people. You know, I don't see how people, anybody would have more than uh, two people living in, a, in an apartment. And so uh, Michael starts using drugs, but he starts coming off drugs. And like I said, he, I woke up with him punching me in the arm. And I get up after him punching me in the arm and I'm pissed and I am hung over. And then I throw him off of me and then I punch him in the stomach, a good gut punch. And I give him an elbow to the uh, back. And then I remember I like threw him out of my room because we each had our own room. Right. And I like grabbed his back and just like threw him out. And like uh, I had uh, I'm like six inches taller than him. So I threw him out and uh, scrapped us up his back a little bit. And then uh, he call, he calls the police, but then he hangs up. And then the cops come. And then in Texas, if uh, the police come for a domestic violence disturbance, then one of the two parties uh, has to go to jail just to try to protect from any uh, retaliation. So uh, the cops come and I'm like, what? I'm like, I didn't do anything. I woke up with him punching me. And then they look at him and he's like beat up a little bit because I punched him in the stomach, punched him you know, probably in the face. And then, you know, his, they look at his back and it's scratched up. And so they take me to jail. And this was during the 2005 playoff series. Also when I was enrolled in that Spanish class that I had to be at every single day. And so they take me to jail. And also that year, remember I had uh, the money riding on the Spurs winning the championship. So uh, I go to the, San the Travis County jail and they, they don't even lock the door. They were like, I, I started wandering around because like they put me in a cell or whatever after all the booking and they didn't like shut the door all the way. And so then I thought we were like allowed to just walk around. 
So the first day I just like walked around and like I would sit, you know, I would find an empty area. I treated it like a library. I just like found an empty area and would read the newspaper <laughs> and like would read a book. But the, the but then they figured that out and then they were like, that, uh, then they were like, what the fuck? You're not allowed to walk around the jail. And so then they put me in the cell and there was a Spurs game of versus the Detroit Pistons in the 2005 NBA finals going on that night. And I had missed the game because I had to be in jail for like at least three days. My brother ended up coming and signing all the paperwork. And then I, I got an attorney and I explained the situation like, um, yeah, I woke up with him punching me and he had just come down from drugs the night before. And they immediately threw the case out right away. The lawyer was awesome. If you pay for an attorney, it's so much easier. It's so crazy how the United States justice system works. If you go with a court-appointed attorney, you're fucked in just about every situation. If you have the money and you pay for your own attorney, you're good. And I paid a couple thousand dollars. He worked out a payment plan, though, where I paid him a couple hundred dollars a month. And then at the end, I owed him like, you know, 500 or $600. And he's like, no, just go ahead and keep it. We're good. You know, we're even. Because he understood the predicament, you know, he understood I was about to, uh, you know, be accepted to the University of Texas journalism program. I had a lot going for me. Sometimes in life, if you let people into your into your surroundings, they can just fuck shit up for you. I It took me a long time to learn that, but not everybody deserves to hang around you. You want to be careful on who you hang around with. And it took me a long time to learn that. And I had to learn that the fucking hard way with those fucking the, I'm not even going to mention them but the fuckers from 2018 the online <laughs> dungeons and dragons you know fuckers that I hung out with on one or two occasions for 5 minutes in 2018 I mean in 2018 I hung out with them for 5 minutes on one or two occasions and then their whole community of incel keyboard warrior basement dwellers like and for five fucking years they've been downvoting every comment they've been uh, false flagging false reporting every video they've been uh you know ha harassing me any way possible that they can online and it's sad but uh careful who you hang around with because i if i could just grow organically on all these platforms or on my podcast that would be like so much easier and things would be so much better but just my association with these terrible fuckers for five minutes in 2018 get, dug me a huge hole to climb and the best lesson learned there is careful who you associate with because there are some fucking assholes and just giving them five minutes of your time you are uh in trouble and it's sad. And you got to, to respect women because uh, women are, are very uh, desirable and attractive to men. And there are a lot of sociopathic evil men. Uh, you know, I heard a horrible story of a beautiful woman in Arizona that w went jogging during the daytime. And uh, her only crime was just being uh, an attractive woman. And some crazy homeless person just, you know, did horrible things. And there's people out there like that and that that's where i put these guys of like serial killers because i've wanted nothing to do with them or that community of toxic racism and for five years they're still like oh where you at mr g like they'll just be sending me messages like yeah you're going on the rv like what the fuck like i don't know you man this isn't like and that's why i said like you really have to respect what women have to deal with because you look at like attractive women like in ninth grade or high school and 
there's always like some like creep like that just like is obsessed with them and like gets them flowers and just like thinks that they're gonna like win them over with romantic songs there's always like some like little nerdy guy that's like in love with in love with every woman and makes them like mixtapes or they they, <laughs> they don't have mixtapes anymore so they have mixed spotify playlists right so you have all these little nerdy kids that aren't desirable at all like women like tall men with deep voices i'm sorry to be the messenger of sadness for you fucking incel fucking neck beards but women prefer tall men with deep voices that can make them laugh and that are confident and smart like yeah right mr g you're just describing yourself no bro <laughs> look it up they did it like a survey they're like would you um rather be with a, a short guy that treats you like crap or a or no would you rather be with a tall man that treats you poorly or a short man that treats you very well <laughs> and like 90 percent of the women were like yeah i'd kind of i'd rather be with the tall guy you know and uh would you rather be with a short man that's rich or a tall man that's poor and like oh that's a tough one right but would you rather be with a uh uh, a tall man that's poor or or a poor man that has a little money oh the tall guy's got a little or the tall guy yeah but like yeah it's some crazy if you look it up yourself and um it's not me but uh but yeah i don't know even know how we got on that topic uh i don't even know what the hell we're talking about what are we talking about is this a basketball podcast or what we we're talking about the 2005 nba finals and how my brother uh had uh unfortunately uh put me in jail because of his own uh misgivings and how i ended up passing that spanish class i ended up uh getting into the university of texas and i did i was absent for a day or two uh for the spanish class and i did miss one of the nba finals games in 2005 but everything is a huge learning lesson and that was a huge learning lesson too uh now after the, the the Spurs won the championship that year, um, I received my acceptance letter into the University of Texas. And so I was so proud. And <clears throat> I, I uh, rewarded myself with a, a, a trip to California. And then I did the same thing in 2006. I took a trip to California. And this was during playoff time, too. So you really want to check out tomorrow's episode 14, where we're going to talk about the NBA Finals in 2006 and the nba finals in uh yeah the nba finals in 2006 and the summer of 2005 we'll mention that too when i drive to california so just to let you know i saw the nba finals in 2006 at the sports book in the historical mgm grand hotel so you want to be here for tomorrow's episode 14 uh dwayne wade shaquille o'neal winning the, the Miami Heat's very first NBA championship in 2006. That was a season to remember, just like this is a season to remember. And thank you all for listening. The Mr. G Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and full episodes of the Mr. G Podcast are posted on Twitter and YouTube daily. So thank you all for listening. Everybody have a great day. And for me and my street kitties here in Hawaii, I bid you farewell. And I also say aloha.